I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats On. We are a podcast in which Leeds fans cast the combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie. The good news that Mateus Click is finally getting a rest of the podcast. Yay! And I'm joined by the bad news that it's only because he has a viral disease that can ruin a player's career of the podcast. Tom Woodhead. Boo! And finally, the staying out late and getting sent home from international duty of the podcast. What is he like? It's Tom Alderson. Tom, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. This is me sort of returning to football after about 10 days off. I've paid very little attention, not watched England, not watched any of the under-21s like it feels like the rest of the people on Twitter that I follow are doing. But I've so I've spent my time instead writing my dissertation, which I don't know if is better or worse than watching England against play San Marino. <laughs> yeah, I've only watched England under twenty ones, uh, not England under twenty ones. Yeah, I've only watched under twenty ones football, which has been quite nice, and I avoided England when I did that. So I'm feeling fairly refreshed. Um, I've actually watched a couple of the women's Champions League games as well, which has been quite fun um, because at Analytics FC now we are covering. The women's game so I've just been trying to swat up on that a little bit so that's been a nice change from from out of the ordinary another man who hasn't been watching football for a few days is Tom Woodhead hi I must admit I did watch about half an hour of one of the England games I can't even remember which one it was but um <laughs> they're all the same aren't they yeah just half an hour of watching Calvin Phillips playing as a slightly advanced midfielder um interesting or not interesting <laughs> depending on you what's your dissertation about tom it's this is going to sound where it is really boring so it's about like missiles and projectiles and about how you can reduce the drag on them which is probably a bit ethically dodgy but we, we won't go there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i always find missiles drag you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah and i guess that ties in with england matches as well so there you go there's a nice segue but far from us dwelling on international football let's let's kick off this podcast which was nominally supposed to be a Sheffield United preview podcast and it will kind of be that but we tried to find someone to talk about Sheffield United to us and none of their fans want to talk about them which says everything you need to know I think about Sheffield United's season so in lieu of that fact we're going to spend a lot of time in this 
podcast not talking about Sheffield United. We'll get to them in the end and we'll we'll have a quick discussion about how the game is going to look at the weekend. But I thought it might be fun to do a little bit of a, not a season review, because I, I think we're going to save all of that stuff for the end of the season. But uh, a few things cropped up in the media in the last month or so that um, I, I think uh, we could cast our eyes over and, and have a chat about that, that are essentially looking back over the season. And we'll start off with a little bit of a discussion of the athletic study that came out I think today I really struggled to find the graphics for this when I was searching for them this afternoon. So I don't know whether or not they've regretted it and taken it down, but um, the, they did as a number of series with, uh, sorry, a number of surveys with their fans, um, or their subscribers talking about various things about the season, how happy you are with uh, the way your club's being run, how you, how happy you are with the manager, who you expect, uh, do you, would you be happy to see the manager uh, be at the club next season? Um, and then I guess the the really interesting one for Leeds is the they they did a survey on the how happy the club's fans are with the performance this season, and Leeds are very much lower mid table on this survey so um 54.83% um of the was the rating that was given by Leeds fans with how happy they are uh, with the club's performance this season um and to put that into context 94.3% of city fans were happy with with the way that their club was performing this season or at, I should say the the average score given by their fans was 94.3%. And the lowest was 27.26% by Newcastle fans, which is impressive because they managed to finish even lower than Sheffield United fans on the satisfaction scale. So uh, let's let's kick off with this. In terms of, I guess the best place to start is... how are we determining this this study in terms of a scale like how how would we have talked about the potential happiness that you could have from Leeds like what's the top and the bottom of that scale for for you guys I'll start with you Tom Alderson like 54.83 as a satisfaction score out of 100 seems pretty low to me um so what do you make of that yeah i found this weird when i read it this morning because i actually, i actually filled in the survey and it was weird how they've sort of presented the results. So I, I looked at the question they actually asked for this, and it was, how happy are you with the club's performances this season? And it was incredibly very, neither happy nor unhappy, unhappy or distraught. So from what I can gather from this, most Leeds fans are neither happy nor unhappy with the way that we've played this season, which is, I just think that's baffling, because how can you not be happy with, are we 11th? Either way, we're not, we're not 18th, 19th or 20th. But I just I wonder if it's just a lot of fans are kind of expected us to be here, or be eleventh and performing as well as we are. So they're just like, yeah, I'm just that's fine. I'm not I'm not happy with this. I'm not unhappy with this. Whereas for the impression I get from the most people that I talk to are that they're they're very happy that we are performing um, at at this level. I think the only way that the people that clearly filled out this survey would be happy is if we were fighting more for the European spots, that must be the only thing that these guys, that makes them happy these days. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying about the the questions that were asked because there's a big difference between talking about whether or not you're incredibly happy or just neutral on how well the, the club has performed this season. If, the, the, if you're then just going to map that into presumably what they've done is saying, you know, 80% is incredibly happy or like 100% is incredibly happy and then 80% is happy and then 50% is neither happy nor unhappy and then etc. Um, it seems to me that there's a big there's a big gap between, say, for, for example, for me, if I, I would say that I've been, 
I'm pretty pretty happy with where we are this season. I think we've we've done really well. I can't really see us doing any better apart from through like variants. So picking off a few wins here and there where where we ended up actually not getting wins. Other than that, like I can't really see how we could really have done anything better than than what we expected. But I, I suppose that would that would probably put me at, in terms of satisfaction. I'd be I'd be up in the nineties. I don't think that uh, I would be any any more happy or 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 upset with with where we are but I guess if you're like you said if your expectation before you came into the season was that Leeds should be challenging for the European places which seems bonkers to me really um then you might you might consider it differently but Tom Woodhead what do you make of of all of this my main thought about it is just that it's a really bizarre time in the season to conduct a survey like this um like we've got about a quarter of the season left um you know what meaningful conclusions can you come to, and how objective can it possibly be when um, there are still a quarter of the games left to be played? And I, I, I reckon probably a lot of the results just come down to what sort of run of form the teams, um, the, the teams had been on uh, when when the fans of those teams were asked about it. So, uh, Tom, did you do you know, do you know exactly when it was that you filled this in? So the eighteenth of March is when the thing was released. Right. Yeah. Because. So we'd just drawn with Chelsea at that point, I think. Um, but it was, yeah, so we were drawn with Chelsea, but we hadn't beaten Fulham yet. So that that's basically our worst run of the whole season in terms of results. And I'm sure that has a massive effect on it. And then if you look at the graph, you can also see that Arsenal are at 71.57%. And again, I wouldn't say Arsenal have had a particularly great season, but they had just beaten Spurs at the point when this survey was taken. So, you know, what what can we really read into these kinds of things when you know of course Arsenal fans are going to be happy when they've just beaten their most hated rivals and of course Leeds fans are going to be a bit more unhappy um when they've been on their worst run of the season that's just human nature so that said we have just drawn with Chelsea who everyone was raving about at the time and we we were pretty much safe at this point right even even before the Fulham result it does it does seem very low especially when you look at the other clubs around where where we're talking, I mean, we, we, it goes Newcastle, Sheffield United, West Brom, all teams that have had disastrous seasons. Tottenham Hotspur, who've had a pretty poor season. Liverpool, who've had a pretty poor season. And then it's only Southampton and Wolves below that. You've got teams like Crystal Palace, who've just been turgid the whole season. Burnley, who've been turgid for most of the season. Brighton, who've not been able to score a goal for love nor money. Um uh, you know, it's it, it it is remarkable how, uh, and then then you've got Manchester United ahead. Like Manchester United, a full sort of twenty points, well, fifteen points ahead in terms of satisfaction in a season where you know obviously Manchester United expect to win something every season, and they're not really they're not really in any competitions now, I guess, apart from Europa League. So it for me, I guess it, it just it just seems a bit odd that that we are that low down um in, and i think i think I, I mean again like you say there's no point reading into it because i think the way that they've conducted the survey is pretty spurious um and doesn't really say anything i think if you were to put out a um a survey which said how happy are you on a score of 0 to 100 i'm very i would be very surprised if leeds fans came out at 54% which is which is which is why it, it seems a little bit ridiculous to me. And I'm sure a lot of people who have answered this survey would say, well, I, I'm much happier than that. And presumably the majority would say that they, they would put the score higher than that. So it does seem a little bit um, uh, questionable in that regard. But I suspect a lot of this just comes down to people having really high expectations for the season. But I mean, for me, I think like mid-table was high expectations, really. Um, 
I can't really think of anywhere where we've we've been disappointing in terms of results. And I think maybe maybe in terms of I think going into the season in the way that we'd been playing in the last two seasons and then I think making certain decisions in the transfer market which turned out to be largely bad decisions in the long run um you could maybe say that this the season's been a little bit disappointing from that point of view but I think when you take the first few games into account and and where Leeds were at and where the squad was at I think everything this season really has been quite good um I don't know if anyone has any other thoughts on that yeah well I I just think it's easy to underestimate how much people's feelings around the, how their football club is doing is influenced by recent results, I think. Um, I, I'm sure if you'd done this survey just after we'd beaten Leicester 3-1 or maybe after the Palace game a couple of uh, games later, then we would be in those you know, high mid-70s or something like that. Because in, 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 uh, I think you know when you look at all the pre-season predictions that all the papers did and stuff before the season they all had leads you know 11th 10th 9th and stuff like that and you can argue about whether those are realistic expectations or not but they are expectations that people are presented with and then they influence people's thoughts about the season um subsequent to that so it, when when we're looking like possibly slipping a little bit lower than that i can understand why someone certainly someone who's not paying the kind of analytical attention that, that geeks like us pay to it might might look at it and say well yeah it, this is a, about where we expected to be and this is about where everyone else expected us to be so there is i think there is a kind of logic to it yeah for sure and i think another thing that we really need to talk about you touched on in terms of fan response to results is that one of the phenomenons of this season has been how leads have beat teams some teams comfortably and then struggled against others. It's 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 either been hot or cold. There's not been anything in between, and I think that makes it very very hard to to read leads in, particularly in a media environment which likes to talk about runs of form in terms of how good teams are doing. So if if Manchester United have a good run of form, suddenly they're the greatest team uh, in in the UK, and you know Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's a great manager, and then they have a couple of bad results, and suddenly the the questions about whether or not they should sack. Solskjaer come in um it, it tends to follow those sorts of mini runs whereas with Leeds we've seen you know we've seen a couple of wins we've seen a couple of losses we've seen a draw it, it, it's never really been um and there's never really been any momentum and we've talked about why that's the case a lot on this podcast I think that a lot of it comes down to man marking and and you know talent discrepancies between teams but I think that's made it really hard for people to really assess where they are this season because you know whilst I say I've really enjoyed this season it's been really happy uh, a really happy season for for I think most of us there have been those games that have just been awful um you know losing when you go 2-0 down to Manchester United after about three minutes that's not a fun game and so I, I think it has, has, I think there's that kind of tempers your enjoyment of the season as well um the fact that you know we have had some really just really really fun games where we've been great and then we've just had some games where we've just been toilet and it's been awful to get through I think there's possibly some like uh lockdown psychology might come into this a little bit as well in that it is kind of disappointing that in our first season back we haven't been able to go to any games you know maybe and if you're a crystal palace fan maybe you're quite happy about not going to games for a year and then recharge your batteries and go back next year and and get that feeling back whereas for leeds you know every, every single fan who could make it to games would want to be there so i mean obviously that's not anything directly to do with how the team is playing but i wonder you know i wonder if you know the 6-2 against manchester united things like that you know, there would be an element of, I can't even remember, was that at Ellen Road or was it at Old Trafford? Old Trafford. It was at Old Trafford, yeah. I mean, the, 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 
there'd be an element of sort of gallows humor and backs against the wall things to do with it that I think just there are entire sort of quadrants of supporting a football team that just aren't accessible at the moment and I think that affects everything and that's just possibly me bringing my own current pessimism about the state of lockdown football into a more specific discussion but um, yeah I'm sort of rambling on about nothing here but I guess (laughs) that's what this podcast's raison d'etre has already been defined as isn't it so Tom Alderson I'll go to you finally on this did you want to add anything to all of this discussion I was just going to talk about one other little bit of the athletics survey and it was would you be happy if your team's manager is in charge this time next year and 98.13% if that's what what it is said that they would be so who are that other 2% that aren't wouldn't want Bielsa there next year I have come across these people online, like they lurk in certain corners of the web. It's basically anti-intellectuals, people who think that he's overrated, that he's not pragmatic enough, and that um, that any you know anyone given the resources could have done an equally good job. Idiots, basically. The thing that I found so funny though was comparing that mindset with the people who think that the club's like really well run. Uh, you know, the the, the 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 sort of mindset that you've got a really good manager but you're, you're unhappy with the performance and then you're really happy with the way the club's run. It just seems bizarre to me that you can have that kind of mix of opinions when it seems pretty clear to me that the reason we're doing so well is because we have a great manager. Um, and, and and that's kind of as, sim- as simple as it gets. But The, th- the thing is for the well-run thing, though, assuming that the question was designed in the same way as, as the other question was, the baseline for how well the club is run for Leeds fans is incredibly <laughs> skewed in compared to most clubs, you know. If if you take the average as being, I don't know, who would be the average? <laughs> Ken Bates, like oh, you know, like <laughs> is Ken Bates the average? Bloody hell! Well, well, I don't know. I mean, when you when your recent owners are Chilino, GFH, GFH, and Ken Bates, they're the last three owners before Radrizani, like all like atrocious in completely different ways. So it's like <laughs> anyone who does an even vaguely decent job, you, you probably are going to think it's well run in comparison. And let's not forget that Radrizani took us to Myanmar. Now, now a site yeah. of global conflict, but <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, we could talk about this until the cows come home. Let's move on to talk about something that we're probably better suited to talk about anyway, which is the uh, the players themselves. So a few weeks ago, uh, maybe it wasn't even that long ago, Leeds Live put out some ratings um, for the players, which I think generated some some uh, I, I guess discussion. But it, these sorts of things always will do because. You will never, you're never going to appease everyone. I thought it wasn't too bad in terms of the the general ratings. Uh, really, I didn't think it was that unfair. Maybe, uh, well, we'll come we'll come across this now. But I thought what we what would be good to do is just go through each player, and then uh, I'll read out the Leeds live rating, and then you guys can say over or under, and then we can discuss the um, whether or not you would have gone over or under their score, and we can discuss it from there. So let's start off with the goalkeeper. So Ilan Melier was given eight. Would you go over or under? I'd stay the same. Yeah, I think I would as well. Eight feels about right to me. Yeah, maybe we should talk about like what the rating scale is on this as well, because again, there's so many assumptions that go into into this sort of thing, um, but no one really ever talks about the, the the scale itself. So, what do you think would constitute like a player getting ten and a player getting one, Tom Woodhead? A player getting ten, I guess, would be. I'm trying to think of a an example. I mean, maybe like Riyad Mahrez when in that season when Leicester won the league might be a 10, something like that. Some A player who completely elevates the team to a position they wouldn't have, have achieved without that player. And so what about then like number nine? Like a nine is just a really good personal performance then? Yeah, just a, a, a great integral part of the team that, that again, 
not to the extent where it, it feels like they're sort of carrying the team at times, but um, uh, just just a, a, a season of very few, uh, very, if any, uh, outright poor performances as well. And then I guess at the other end of the the scale, like how could you even ever go to like the like to one or two? I suppose Tom Alderson. I was I'd go I'd go with Tom Alderson. Do you, like what would you what would you give as the like lowest potential score that you could give? I'm going to give Casira one. So can I use that as an example? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I think that's a, probably a good scale then that we that we can keep in mind. Then so Melier an eight, I guess not being perfect in many respects, but also been remarkably good, um, especially given his his situation and uh, the fact that he's sort of been thrown in at the deep end. He's like been better than I thought he would as well, because like, I, I don't know, whilst it's like there should be, the scale should be the same for everyone, I think like a seven for Bavader wouldn't be the same as seven for Jack Harrison, even though it should be, because I think like the kind of, Melier's been better than, I, than what I would have expected him to be, whereas... I don't know, a more senior player, I'd probably have higher expectations of them. Even that's that's probably the wrong way to do it, but that's that's how I should do it. I think it's fair enough to an extent. Like, if you've got a really young player like Perveda, I don't think you can necessarily judge them on the same scale as you're judging other players. Like, the thing that always annoys me about these things is that it should be, if it's out of 10, then average should be five or six, shouldn't it? Ooh. Six should be good average and five should be bad average, but no one ever reads it that way and we can't do it that way for that reason. So like, <laughs> so it's, it's basically universal that seven is good average and six is bad average. And, it, and it ba- you've basically got all this wasted resolution down the bottom of the scale. Like, <laughs> like what's the difference between two and three? Like, there's absolutely no, you know, it may as well stop at four. Well, it does for them. Right? Yeah, they've not gone lower than four. So essentially, what you're doing is you're working with, and they've gone up to nine. So you're working with a five point scale, really, um, <laughs> which is not helpful at all, I don't think. Um, which is kind of why I was kind of interested in whether or not we could potentially have given anyone a ten. Uh, and then, yeah, Casilla and Hernandez are given four here, um, which is presumably like as probably a, a, maybe a point above what you you might consider the lowest mark but I mean I I can't conceive of how a player can have a worse season than Kiko Casilla so um, I'm happy to go well he's the next one he's 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 four I'm, I would happily go go under that uh, myself but what about you two Tom you Tom Alderson you said you would give him a one Tom Woodhead listen I'm no fan of Kiko Casilla but and we've just but we have just talked about how everything underneath the four is all the same anyway yeah sure i'd give him a one but only <laughs> only to piss him off like I, I i don't really see what the utility in having all these numbers underneath four are in the scale but yeah he's been dog shit it's also really hard to kind of rate Casir anyway because one he's barely played um two obviously there's all of the the baggage that comes with him anyway so it, you know in terms of a player rating it's just impossible to give him a quote-unquote objective mark which is probably true of almost any backup goalkeeper even one who <laughs> yeah, isn't true. a racist yeah that's true so I'm happy to just move on from there and pretend yeah. it never happened Ailing gets a good score um here he gets a score of nine would you go over or under Tom Woodhead? I would possibly give him an eight rather than a nine. I, if you'd have asked me this in, say, January, I would have definitely gone nine and possibly possibly even ten with Luke. But I don't think he's been quite as good since. And just in terms of, I think I think there are players who I would give a nine to, um, or at least one player who I would give a nine to, who I think have had better seasons than Nailing. So 
Um, you know, if it was a slightly more granular scale, maybe Ailing would get an 8.5, but I don't think he's been quite as good as, for example, Bamford. Why do you think that is out of interest? Why do I think he's been not as good recently? Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I think with Ailing, a lot of a lot of the things that tip him uh, in, in terms of a single game from, you know, a good performance to a great performance hinges on his final product in the in the his, his end product in the final third, which is quite erratic. I think his crossing isn't great, and his um, that that's the one part of his game that that sometimes lets him down. I think that that when attack attacking wise, anyway, is that is that final uh, that final ball, and I think that's been not been quite as good as it was in the early part of the season. And as well, I think he's let himself down a little bit at set pieces and in the air recently on uh, in some of the recent games. So um, I would for that reason they're the reasons i give but you know i i love ailing i think he's mostly been very good yeah he's also really had a bit part you know existence this season in in a in a completely complementary way of course insofar as he's been expected to play all over the back line depending on where he's required which i think is probably quite difficult to get to get into a run um and you know we've, we've seen him playing a lot in defense this in the central defense area um which i think yeah, is you not see, his... now, now you've got me thinking he needs to be a nine again <laughs> <laughs> tom alderson like would you go over or under on i'd completely agree with tom i'd go probably go under i think an eight would probably be fair hmm. so after ailing they've got liam cooper on an eight over or under tom over. Over? Over, Tom yeah. Woodhead? So you've sort of made your bed, you've got to sleep in it now that you've said yeah. that Ailing isn't a nine. You've... Yeah, I think, I think, I think I'd think, stick with an eight, yeah. I don't think Cooper has been better than Ailing. I think he's been very good. I think he's been really important whenever he's played. Um, he's never really seriously let the team down, I don't think. Um, but unless I were going to, I would stretch other players to a ten, I think I would have to keep Cooper on an eight. Tom Alderson make your case for pushing Cooper up it would wind people up is probably my first one um, <laughs> but no I think he's he's been really good and I can't actually think of a time that he's made a mistake like it may be a few set pieces but I think he's also he's performed better a lot better than I expect him to, to do um, and if you there's quite a I think there was a thing uh, going around like a week or two ago about his data and like metrics for this season and he's been like not just top for leads for just centre backs. He's been top in the league for a lot. Um, just like looking at the data, but yeah, like I said, he just I don't I can't really think of many mistakes he's made, and he stepped up really well. So I would he's also become sort of really important. So I'd I'd say a nine. Yeah, I mean personally, I'm I'm happy with either eight or nine. I think he's been pretty important. Um, I would be happy with Ailing on a nine too. So um, I can't give everyone nines who's playing well. So perhaps this simply highlights how. Uh, potentially fruitless it is this kind of exercise but before we descend into the morass of uh, the la- the loss of meaning in life and uh, the fact that yeah you know we are again where we are but again let's move on and talk about pascal strauch who leads life has down as seven um would you go over or under on that tom woodhead i'd go over i think yeah i'd give him an eight uh i think he's never seriously let the team down when he's played even in midfield i don't think he's been anywhere near as bad as some people have made him out to be um and certainly if we're going to use a slightly different scale for young players then he's massively exceeded expectations at the start of the season I think you would have expected him to have the same kind of minutes as someone like Perveda uh but in reality he's probably played more than he's not played um so I would give him an eight and possibly even stretch that to a nine if we're if we are kind of judging people based on expectations as much as we are pure performances yeah tom alderson how about you 
Yeah, I completely agree. I'd give him an eight. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I don't need inviting to <laughs> to push Strauch up, so I'm I'm happy to go with an eight as well. Uh, I think it's been, like you say, that it's 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 almost been the case that he's played so regularly this season that you don't really even think of him as being a young player anymore. But I suppose that's technically true of Melier as well. But um, he's just he's just kind of got on with it and done it wherever he's been asked to do it. And again, you know, he's a player like Ailing who's been expected to just fill holes uh, where they've cropped up, um, which can't be easy, um, especially for a player, you know, coming through who is wanting to break through as a centre-back and then being expected to play in a defensive midfield position that a lot of people think he's not very good at. It must be, it must be, must be pretty tricky to, 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 to do. And I think he's, he's been really good this season. Um, Diego Urente, Leeds Alive gave seven. How do we feel about that over or under Tom Woodhead? I think that's about right, personally. I know I'm likely to meet with some dissent on this. Um, I I don't think you can really factor injuries into this. That feels grossly unfair. So I think when he's played, for, if we accept that seven is a kind of, that's a, that's a decent level, like but not not one of the best players in the, or one of the better players in the team, then I'm personally happy with seven. What about you, Tom Alderson? Would you stick at seven? I'm erring on saying lower, but I, if I could go to 6.5, I would. But I feel like a six sounds harsh. But yeah, I'm, I'm not a big big on Lorente, and he hasn't really played that much, so it's difficult to say seven. I'll, I'll say slightly under if I can. I'm I'm happy with seven with Llorente. I think, you know, we don't need to talk about him too much. We, we know what the criticisms are. Um, uh, obviously, uh, he's a really elite ball player. Um, and then off the ball... It's sort of hit and miss. He's he's been pretty good one on one, I think, so far um, from what I've seen. But as you've said, it's it's not really been um, a, a big enough sample size to really make a fair judgment on him. So I'm I'm happy to go with seven. I suspect some people would probably want to push him up to to an eight, but um, I I don't think he's been as impressive compared to someone like Pascal Strauch. And I say that with that realization that on that caveat that. Um, Strauch is on that younger player scale as well so um, I think that's that's fair enough and I think Urente is going to be one of those players he's going to be very hot and cold I think he'll do some things that will be really impressive uh, obviously his ball playing is, is really good uh, and then occasionally he'll just have a complete failure of uh, uh, yeah brain brain failure and then um, no doubt when that happens which will probably happen before the end of the season I'm sure he'll have one big mistake in him before the end of the season then I'm sure that people will maybe reevaluate where they think he's at but I think he's been I think he's been decent I think he's easily been uh, worthy of a seven this season so far um, which brings us to another centre-back signing this season in Robin Koch Tom Alderson Leeds Live have gone seven would you go over or under that I'd stay at a seven I think it's it's quite a tricky the one this one because it's such a long time since I've seen Cock play properly because well, obviously he only got a couple of minutes against Fulham and I, I haven't watched any of the under 23s but again are we, I'm not sure we're using the under 23s to judge a player but it, he didn't he didn't really make many mistakes when he was fit when he was playing um, if you take away the two did he give away one or two penalties in the first couple of games I can't remember but yeah he was just uh, fairly solid to be honest I think if you give Lorenzo and a Cock a seven that's probably fair really they'd probably be about the same sort of level yeah I agree Again, it is difficult because it's so long since he played. It's like trying to remember like what you did at primary school or something. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 he seemed like he was basically fine when he was playing. So I think it'd be churlish to mark him down at seven seasons about right. How would you rate your primary school experience looking back <laughs> on it? Well, I went to two, di- two different primary schools 
Oh, so you'd have to have two separate scores, yeah. presumably. Yeah. Not at the same time. I'm, you know, I'm not that, wasn't that <laughs> <It's a> genius. <laughs> prodigious. <laughs> Jamie Shackleton is the next name on the list. He's got a a six, which seems a little bit low to me. But Tom Woodhead, what would you would you go over or under Shackleton six? I think I'd have to stick here because I, although again Shackleton's had a lot of injuries, so it, it feels a little bit unfair. But I, I, and again, maybe expectations are a little bit high. But I, I think I, I feel like he's only really had that Villa game. Um, when he's looked like the exciting young player that we all thought he would be after the um, the playoff final against or the playoff campaign, um, yeah, semi, yeah. Um, so it's probably not his fault. Uh, he's had so many injuries, um, and I don't think he's been bad when he's played. But equally, I don't think he's had a huge assertive impact in in many of the situations he's come on. I mean, a lot of the time he's, he's, he's been brought on in situations where you don't really want him to have a certain impact because it's the last five minutes and we're just trying to run out a win or something. But um, I struggle to point to too much that he's done that would make me want to, you know, bump him up other than that Villa game. I kind of agree with that. I think maybe maybe you could push him up to a seven, but, and again, the, the context is so hard to read, isn't it? But Tom Alderson, what would you, would you happy to stick with a six on Shackleton? Yeah, I'm happy to stick with a six. I think... You could maybe throw the Wolves game in there. I think he played pretty well in that one. But then that's you go in giving him a seven on maybe two performances. Like and even the Arsenal one where he got that did he go off at half time? I can't remember that one. Maybe he got the full game. He didn't do anything of note. He didn't make. He didn't really sort of help Leeds get back into it. But he also I don't think he was at fault for any of the goals really. So it's, yeah, it's a, this is probably the most difficult one because the. There's very high expectations, but the sample size is so small. Yeah, well, I look forward to a very angry direct message from Josh Hobbs, but uh, we'll (laughs) stick with Shackleton at six. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Stuart Dallas is ranked as nine, which to me maybe feels a little bit high for a number of reasons. Um, I think... Obviously, Stuart Dallas in central midfield has been a revelation um, and has been really important to us. But I do think that part of the reason comes down to the fact that we've sort of tweaked our tactics so that he can just sort of play as a a sort of floating player in the middle and just sort of fight fires. And it's almost like we've gone with a second central midfielder. But um, I'm happy to be be kept at nine but i'm interested to hear what you two think so tom woodhead would you go over or under on dallas nine i think i would keep him at nine again this is possibly one where if i could go to 8.5 i would but i i think dallas is probably 
when you look at when I look at the li- this list, I think Dallas is probably the least naturally talented player. Um, but, so to be anywhere near the eights and nines, I think is a massive testament to uh, how committed he is, not just physically, but how committed he is to to being the man in so many situations who makes Marcelo Bielsa's tweaks and ideas possible. So um, I think if if we didn't have Dallas, there are so many there are so many things that we've done this season that we just wouldn't have been able to do. So I think I'd be happy to keep him at nine for that reason. Yeah. It, again, it does feel very much like he's he's sort of like a hole plugger. He's sort of expected to sort out the problems that I think have been largely caused by um, maybe a little bit of a, a blip in the in the transfer window in bringing in Rodrigo. Um, and without that, you know, I think um, we, we would have been in trouble. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to stick with, with nine on that basis. Um, Tom Alderson, anything to add on that? Would you go over or under? I'd go to 8.5 if I could, but I think a nine's fair, just for everything you've said, really. He's kind of... I think there's a lot of recency in this because he has fixed a, a big problem that we've had. Um, but I think it would be harsh on him to put him down to an eight because he's had such a big impact this year. He'll probably, he's probably the one that's overperformed his expectations more than anyone else. Yeah, I think in many respects, like we've come into the season expecting to score loads of goals and be exciting. And I think we've largely done that in the first part of the season. But obviously that came at a cost of being very, very leaky defensively. And I think moving Dallas into that slot has made us simultaneously more solid defensively, but at the same time has made us less dangerous going forward, despite the fact that I think Dallas has been pretty good in an attacking sense. Um, And so I guess for me, I feel as though had we bought someone in who was maybe a bit more of a a classic number eight, a box-to-box player, then we we probably he probably would have done fine in that Dallas role and and we might have looked a little bit more dangerous we might have been actually be able to play the sort of football that I think Bielsa really wants to play so uh, but yeah it's been an incredible season from Dallas and uh, I'm often made to eat my words on on this podcast cuz both me and Josh have been quite critical of Dallas playing in central midfield in the past but this reinvention of this position where he plays as a sort of zonal uh, a zonal eight has has really changed changed things for him and he's been brilliant um, so that brings us on to Calvin Phillips, who was given a rating of eight, which I think a lot of people might think was a bit low, but um, I'm happy to go with eight. Tom Alderson, eight on Phillips. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't go over that. Um, I, I think he did struggle for a, for a bit. To I don't think he made. He was probably the one that expected to make the jump uh, from the Championship to the Premier League, probably easier than anyone else. And I think he actually. I think it, it did take him a while to sort of get up to speed, but he has he has been good, um, especially he's especially quite recently. I think he has, so I'd say keep him at an eight. I'm going to stick my neck above the parapet here, and I would mark him down to a seven. I think he's been really good. Like he's been, he's been a really important part of the team and a very good player. But I think, as Josh, uh, not Josh, as Tom said, there were some games early on in the season where I think he thought that he had more time than he had a lot of the time uh, in some of the very early games. It, it took him a while to adjust to the pace of the league, I think, more than some of our other players. And if it was, if I was marking it just on the second half of the season, obviously he's been injured for some of that time, then I think he would definitely get an eight for me. But just just for how, how it took him a little while to adjust to the league, I think, and I know a lot of people would disagree with that, um, but I, I would give, I would possibly again. It'd probably be a seven point five rather than a seven. But just to make it interesting, I'll mark him down, and you know, you can at me at TD Woodhead and send me death threats <laughs> and stuff if you want. 
Yeah, in fact, any complaints you have about all stats on, we just direct them to Tom Woodhead. He is our PR manager. So, um, yeah, if you don't like the way that the imagine, tweets are coming... Hell, imagine if I was. <laughs> yeah, it would be awful. <laughs> uh, I'm all for it. Uh, we should talk about that in the in the, the, the GM meeting in the summer. But, yeah, I'm I'm kind of happy to go with that. I do think that Phillips gets a, a level of tax on his... Um, what's the opposite of tax? <laughs> he gets bumped up a little bit for, for all the, the obvious reasons. Um, I think he... He's a player who looks good when he's given space and time, and I think he's maybe been given more space and time in games in the second part of the season than he was in the first part of the season, which I think maybe changes things. Um, I he plays a very very unique position as well, which um, I think maybe changes things too. It's it's very hard for to to judge. Phillips, I think, against other defensive midfielders because what he's expected to do is quite different from what other defensive midfielders are expected to do. Um, but yeah, I would, I would take seven point five as well, I guess. But um, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, eight eight's fine. He's he is one of our most important players, and you know we do we do miss him when when he's not there. Although I again I, I don't think we miss him quite as much as people like to think that we do. It's a funny old thing though, the, the expectations thing though, isn't it? Because if you were judging this based upon expectations for all these players three years ago, then Phillips would absolutely be, he'd be a 10. <laughs> uh, like, you know, you know, no, no, probably no player has um, tra- been transformed quite so much as, as Phillips, not even Dallas, because Dallas is still doing the things that he was doing before. Whereas I think Phillips has almost been taught a new way of playing football. Uh, he wasn't playing that way before Bielsa came. He wasn't doing the same kinds of things. So, um, if anything, it's it's you know the fact that I'm willing to mark him down is just testament to how much he's improved, I suppose. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that, and um, I I think that yeah, I, I do think that sometimes you know you, you can watch him play, and and because he's a very he's a very obvious player insofar as when he does things well it's quite obvious the things that he does well are things which are like jumping in on in tack into tackles or um playing long balls right both of which are are sort of ball orientated and quite easy to judge so i think he maybe gets a little bit of a a boost from that as well um whereas i think when he plays badly in games he just tends to look a little bit more anonymous Uh, and i think you can get away with that a little bit more especially when you're not being scrutinized in in every extent which is why i think i got so frustrated about the way that Pascal Strout was being scrutinised in that position because people just don't look at that position usually. They don't really think about it because they know that Calvin's there and he's going to play well there. Uh, And then when they were watching Strout, they were like, well, I don't like that. Um, therefore it must be bad but a lot of that just comes down to the way that that's how you play the position Um, but let's move on to probably the most controversial mark that was given perhaps well I guess Hernandez was given a bad mark as well but I think Harrison 6 is quite controversial Um, Tom Alderson would you go over or under on Harrison 6? I think I'd definitely go over I think I'd I think a 7 would probably be fair like he's has gone missing a bit in some games and not well, not being able to impose himself on some games, but then he's had some really great ones as well, like the the Newcastle home game, and well, there's can't think of the one to mind, but like I just I haven't really had a lot of problems with him because I don't I think the problems him playing badly I don't think has been him playing badly I think it's because of Leeds adjusting to the Premier League, so I think a six seems harsh compared to the, some of the other ratings, so I'd I'd bump him up to a seven personally. Yeah, six feels really harsh to me. Um, I think. If 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 you look at his entire contribution to the team and not just what he does in attack in an attacking sense, then it feels kind of silly to me that he could be judged uh, to be anything other than you know 
a, a solid performer on a par with the other regular members of the team who who aren't being dropped essentially like so i i would give him a seven definitely again i think it's really hard to judge players because i think expectations over this season compared to last season are quite different um and i think you know again in the past we've been quite critical of harrison in a season where he was expected to do a lot of creative stuff uh, and this season he hasn't been expected to do creative stuff and he's been brilliant um and I, I kind of feel the, the same way a little bit with Dallas in midfield fits into that that sort of category. I think off the ball, Harrison's been been so good and just preparing for some of the future Auters Lists episodes where you're thinking about, right, what is it that you're looking for in a wide player? A lot of it comes down to how good they are off the ball and in, uh, and in pressure situations. And Harrison's just like incredible in those scenarios. And there's, you look around the market to try and find players who are like that and there's just no one really out there. So I do think that, that Harrison is unfairly judged in that respect. And um, he's a really, I mean, the very fact that we move him and, and Rafinha around so much suggests that Bielsa considers, obviously Rafinha is dangerous and you've got to you've got to think about which side it's best for him to attack from but I think that it also is a testament to Harrison that he is getting moved over depending on where the the pressure is supposed to supposed to be put but I guess the the question then is where what what score would we would we give him but Tom I'll let you say what you're going to say and then you can give us a score I just think Harrison as well he seemed he's one of those players who fans of other teams rate him higher than Leeds fans do. Uh, yeah. When you do the um, opposition views um, and you ask for a player that they're worried about for Leeds, people mention Harrison quite a lot. And that's, I think, because although he is inconsistent, he does have the the kind of quality that you need to produce good crosses and to to um, find players and to, and to score goals. So he's not as consistent as Leeds fans would like, but he is doing enough to make telling contributions in a significant proportion of games. So... I, I I think he's yeah he's he's an I think Leeds fans on the whole underrate Harrison a little bit. So what score would you give him then? I'd give him a seven. I think seven feels about right to me. Tom Alderson, you're happy with seven as well? Yeah, seven sounds good. Yeah, right, Rafinha. This should be pretty easy. Given a nine, I guess the question is, uh, would anyone go higher than a nine? Um, uh, Tom Woodhead, do you want to kick off on this? No, I think he, nine feels right. He's he's been good, but he's not been amazing in every single game. He's had he's had games where he's a bit quieter and he's struggled to create as much so you know it's, it's, it's not been a case of him completely dominating every single game he's played so I think nine feels good to me I'll say give him a 10 just to make the scale easier because otherwise we've given no one a 10 and then, <laughs> so then we're on a scale from one to nine which is probably more stupid than a scale that goes from four to nine <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm happy to go with this as well I think um I'd be mid- midway between that maybe maybe a 9.5 I think we've seen a few games where he's maybe been doubled up on uh, just to, to sort of keep that threat quiet. Uh, but I think he's been remarkable. He's um, There's so many games this season where I don't think we would have... Even the Fulham game that we've just had, like, would we have come out winning that game 2-1 if we hadn't have had him to take that ball that Bamford put in that was maybe not the best ball and turn it into a goal-scoring opportunity? Probably not. And that's what we've been missing in this team ever since we've had Bielsa, like a player who can do that. And I think on that basis, I'm happy to to sort of give him the 9, 9.5. Gianni Alioski, 5. Does anyone disagree with this? Would anyone go over or under? I'd maybe push up to a 6 because I think he's played a lot more than he probably should have been playing this year. And in in games against lower teams where we've played where he's had a lot more space on the ball and he's just it's a very like championship style games basically he's played all right but then there have been games where he's looked absolutely horrendous but I just think for someone that's played 
so regularly, I just feel like giving them a five sounds a bit harsh, even if he hasn't been great in some of those games. So I'm going to be nice and give him a six. I suspect Tom Woodhead would be tempted to go lower just to stick his <laughs> neck out and see what happens. No, no, I, you can't give him lower than a five when no, no, no other players on our team are getting a five. I don't know. He, five seems maybe about right, but I think the probably is a bit of recency bias to this because I think he's been worse in the past seven or eight games than he maybe was in some of the games earlier on in the season. Um, I don't know. I, I feel sort of bad giving him a five even, but I, five... It, objectively he has been by far the worst of the regular first team starters i think so five does feel about right to a certain extent it does feel as though alioski is maybe a player who struggles with concentration and i think since we've been safe he's looked a lot less motivated i I know that some people put that down to him leaving at the end of the season i don't think it's that i just think it comes down to the fact that you know there's not a huge amount to play for now really like we're Yes, you want to do as well as possible, and obviously Bielsa will be pushing them. But I, I do get the impression that he's probably a player who probably needs his teammates to say, "Come on, keep concentrating here," and maybe that's come into it. Uh, that game against Fulham, that, particularly the first half against Fulham, is maybe the worst half of football I've seen from a player under Bielsa in that in that era. Just like mind-bogglingly bad decisions, like floating a ball on the half volley back to Melier. Um, which I I will never get my head around. So I'm happy to go with five on this, I think. I'm sure Lewis Baker must have had one or two halves that were just as bad. But Lewis Baker was bad like in a negative sense, right? <laughs> he just he sort of didn't do the things that he need, needed to do. Whereas I feel like Alioski was bad in that half in a positive sense in that he was genuinely <laughs> creating bad situations. Yeah. Um, it was like if you were genuinely being paid to throw a game, it was that kind of thing. But um, Another controversial one, Mateusz Klick. With a six, I think this is, again, maybe recency bias because I think in the first half of the season, he was pretty good. Um, I definitely think he's dropped off. Um, and I, I definitely think that he's dropped off in the time when he was expected to be the slightly more defensive player in that eight pairing rather than at the beginning of the season when he was the more attacking player in that um, eight uh, spot. And I think I saw, I saw an interesting data viz on the timeline the other day, which actually shows that in terms, it was, it was packing, it was packing statistics and packing for those people who don't know is uh, a weird sort of German, um, uh, metric where you look at how many players are bypassed by a player's passing or a player's receiving of a pass. And I noticed that click was really high in terms of his, passes received packing stats so um, I think he's the highest player in the Premier League for receiving balls that have gone past the largest number of players on average so um, he's clearly like an important player I think in an attacking sense and I just don't think you maybe translate that across quite so much uh, when when he plays in that more defensive role but click six seems low low to me Um, Tom Woodhead would you go higher or lower? Yeah I agree I I would I would go higher I'd give him a seven I think I, I I think people a lot of people have forgotten how good he was for the first like 10, 15 games of the season. Um, he looked like one of our best players a lot of the time in that first period of the season when he was mostly playing as the more advanced of the two midfielders. Um, so although he has, he's clearly not been fit for, for a while now, like properly fit. Um, and hopefully the international break and the, you know, the COVID, as long as he's not been destroyed by COVID, it might have helped his, you know, his hip or whatever he's having problems with uh, heal up a little bit. But yeah, I think I think six feels harsh. It feels like a rating that's based on only the bad games he's had, rather than you know, rather than the really good ones. I think for the like the first ten games, I would have probably given him 
a 9 or a 10 rating. So if you say for the 20 games since then, if even if he was like a 5 or a 6, it's like it seems like we've gone really recent on this. So I'd definitely give him pushing him up to a 7. I think anything above that, depending on the recent games, seems probably too high. There was a point in this earlier in the season, wasn't there, where Bielsa was asked about Click and and he said that he, I can't remember what he said, but it was something like he, he said he would get into any, any team, team in, in the world or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> like, something like that. Yeah, and since then he's been poor. Right? Yeah, I mean <laughs> that it, is the turning point. <laughs> it, I mean it is it is possible. It's definitely a it, it's a hyper hyperbolic thing to say from Bielsa, but it shows the kinds of conversations that were being had at the time. And I think people have, as I said, I think people have sort of forgotten that Click was really good in that early part of the season. Pablo Hernandez, four. I'm guessing we're probably going to go over on this, even if just for sentiment's sake. But Tom Woodhead, Pablo Hernandez, four. Yeah, four seems... This is the other side of the coin with the expectations thing, isn't it? That people expect Pablo to be amazing. So because he's not being consistently our best player like he was in the championship um, or our most creative force, then, then people are really down on him but he's been injured loads hasn't he and when he has been fit and able to contribute he's done some good stuff he's set up some goals he's um you know he's helped us he's helped us increase some leads that were you know I think there's been a few points where he's come on where we've been one goal up and then by the end we've been three goals up and things like that so although his role has been peripheral and quite specific it's not like he's not done anything good I I, obviously yeah sentiment does play a huge part but to, to say that he's been as bad as Casilla, who has done literally nothing good the entire time he's been on the pitch, feels harsh. Yeah, he's got a few assists to his name, and yeah, albeit that was against Newcastle. It, it does feel like four is being marked down, isn't it? Rather than anything, yeah. rather than you know, you, you would say you start from seven, and and you, yeah. you sort of get chipped down from there. I, I would say he was probably closer to a six on that scale, maybe pushed down to, towards a five. I think four is just you're a full three points below that scale for a guy who's probably barely even hit 200 minutes. I just think if he'd been if he'd been fit all season then he he could have played a pretty important role in in coming in, coming into games late on and 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 helping us keep possession and or or he could, you know he could, the could he could have conceivably come on for three or four times and created opportunities late on in games where we're really struggling to create and things like that but just because he's his fitness hasn't been up to it and he keeps breaking down with these little niggly injuries. He's not been able to contribute in that way. So, you know, if, 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 you know, we're going to do Rodrigo next, you know, if, if, <laughs> if, if you only take into account the time that the player has actually played and you don't consider getting injured to, to be the player's fault, then four just feels like, like a nasty thing to do to poor sweet Pablo. <laughs> Tom Alderson, would you add anything to that? I'd agree with all that. I'd give him a five or a six, personally. Yeah. Well, Rodrigo has already been summoned uh, by by Tom Woodhead. He was given a mark of seven on this rating scale. Um, Tom Tom Alderson, how do you how do you feel about that? I'd be tempted to go lower than that because they say if we're giving Click a seven, and I think they're probably you're comparing them a bit like for like. I would say that Rodrigo's had a, probably had a worse season than Click because he's not being as good for as long a time and I think he's been as bad probably at the same time as Click's being bad I'd, so I'd probably if I could a 6.5 but I'd probably quite happily give him a 6 that's uh, maybe potentially controversial Tom Tom Woodhead I think I agree with Tom I I think he's he's had good games like, and at his best he's been very very good um, but I don't think we've really seen him at his best since before Christmas now or um, whenever it was he got that first 
Um, he came back from COVID, didn't he? And, and played a few games and then he got injured again. Um, so I think there was a period where it looked like he was going to be really good and then injuries has just kind of tapped away at his season. But I don't think he's made quite enough telling contributions for a seven. But again, it would be a 6.5 rather than a six, I think, if I, you know, if I were if we could do that. I don't know. He's, I think the other thing is he's just never quite looked like getting the hang of the pressing. Um, and again, it's harsh because he's been injured so much. But And I think I think those midfield positions are some of the hardest to get the hang of the pressing in because there's a lot more interchanging going on than you have with some of the, for example, the wide positions where if you are interchanging, it's usually with the player ahead or behind you, isn't it? It's not difficult. It's just hard work, the wide yeah. positions. You just yeah. have to cover a huge amount of ground, right? Whereas... Yeah. There's been so many times this season where Rodrigo just doesn't look like he understands where he's supposed to be. Yeah. I think I agree. I think the way that I look at this question is like, which of the games that where you think, oh, you know, Rodrigo's had a really good game. There's there's the Aston Villa game that we won. And then there's one of the Newcastle ones where he scored that really nice goal. But apart from that, there's, I, I, I struggle to really... Man City was good. Yeah, that's true. I think all the games where he's been good in have been games when we've been allowed to transition. And after the first few games of the season and against poor teams we've not actually been able to do that that much and I know that's something Josh Hobbs says is that yes there's going to be scenarios where Rodrigo is going to be a useful player but the problem is is that in this season and with this team there aren't that many of those games it's it's really not really worth the the risk of spending that money on a player to to be good in four or five games a season or something and that's kind of how I feel about Rodrigo so I I would happily give him a 6.5 as well but I mean seven I think is is okay Tyler Roberts on a six seems unfair I think but I think that's the narrative right is that that Roberts is uh, has been bad this season. Um, who wants to? Who wants to jump on the Roberts train? Tom Woodhead. I'll jump in front of the Roberts train. I'll. <laughs> uh, I'll let myself get pulverized into the tracks. Um, I, I think he. I think he's been really good since. I don't think he was good at all the first few games of the season before. Uh, basically, before Rodrigo replaced him in the team, I think there were about five games where he played, and I think he was genuinely quite bad at the start. But since he's come back from. Um, I don't know, did he get injured and then, yeah, he got COVID, didn't he? And since he's come back from that, I think he's been really, well, he's got better and better. I I, I would give him a seven. I think he's um, he's easily been as, I mean, I understand why they've given him a six here because they've also given Click a six. Uh, and I wouldn't say he's been over the course of the season better than Click probably. I would say they've been about the same. So that's why I'll bump him up if I'm going to bump Click up. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I'd I think just for just his recent performances alone, he deserves at least a seven. I think the recent performances have probably been eight-ish. Yeah. And then you balance that off with the, the previous ones, and he's probably down to about a seven. Um, but we've talked about Roberts a lot, so I don't want to really labour that point. Uh, Helder Costa has been given a five. Um, Tom Tom Alderson, I'm sure you're going to have a problem with this. That seems harsh for me. I think he did have a bit of a run, didn't he, a couple of weeks ago, where he played... Well, well, in a couple of games, and he, he, I think people forget that he's the first few games of the season he was incredibly good. Um, so I think if I think if a five is like below average, I'd say I would say I'd go up probably to a six. Tom Woodhead, would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd I'd agree with Tom. Yeah, um, I think again this is this is one where yes, I agree. Costa has been one point worse than Harrison, and if you give Harrison a six, then you have to give Costa a five, but. That's not the case with uh, with what we've said. So yeah, I, I, I think he'd, I think he'd be a six for me. And then Jan Paveda was given a, a six as well, um, which I think is maybe fair. I think a lot of people were, and I know Darren Driver mentioned in our group chat 
uh, Harrison and Pervader getting the same scores seems a bit bit unfair. Um, what do you make of that, Tom Woodhead? Yeah, it's been quite a long time since he's played, hasn't it? But there was a period in the season where he was Bielsa's go-to change from the bench. He was the guy that we'd bring on um, if we were struggling. And he's never really had the impact, but equally, I don't think he's been... He's not been atrocious and he's not he's not really let himself down, I think. I think I think the frustrating thing with Pervader is that his his sort of balance and agility look is is so good that you kind of expect him to be able to do other things that he can't do. Um and, and that's what it seems to me anyway. He's got a kind of aesthetic look of a really, really elite dribbler because his balance is so good and and he lets his decision making just lets him down at times. But I still think because he does have that great agility and balance I think there's there is the possibility that he can develop those other areas of his game I think I think I'd be it'd be very harsh to give him a five I think because he's not he's not come on and stank the place out every time he's played so given that we're talking about the under 21s having or the under 23s having a a different scale on this would it be fair to say that Pervader probably deserves a seven it's too long since he's played for me to to have good thoughts on it I think I've I need to re-watch his games and stuff I guess for me, like if we're taking seven as that average, I guess my question is, has he done anything to pull him below the average um, rather than I think maybe what this, this scale is doing, which is maybe pulling him, arguing that he hasn't really done enough to pull him up to that level? That's true, but I, don't, I think he's been, I don't think he's been as good as, for example, Roberts, who is not that much older than him. Um, so I don't know, six feels about right because he's he's had quite a few opportunities to to influence games and he's still not really made any hugely telling contributions to results so even though occasionally he's looked technically good and he's looked like he could do something he's never quite done it so to be honest even though it's a long time since he's played I think he has probably done more this season than any of us thought he would do because I didn't think he would be involved really and he's come on there was a period where he was coming on and playing quite a few quite a few subs appearances and doing all right in some so I don't, I don't think that's enough to push him up to a seven, even if we are using that scale for younger players. But I, I think a six, if you, if we're going for like the halves, I think a 6.5 would probably be what I'd give him. But I'm quite happy with giving him a six. I did forget that. He did win that penalty that wasn't that wasn't given against someone, didn't he? That that, that seemed like it, <laughs> it should have been a penalty. I can't remember who it was, but that, that was something good that he did. But that, even, though, even though it never mattered. <laughs> well, let's move on to uh, Bamford. With the thoughts of nothing really mattering in our <laughs> again, <laughs> Bamford has given a nine in the Leeds Live rating, which I think we'll probably all agree with. Yep. Yeah. I suppose the argument could be made; it could be bumped up a little bit in terms of what expectations were and how he's absolutely battered those ex- expectations into the park. Um, but yeah, I think he's been he's been brilliant this season and. Um, I don't think anyone would, would even talk about lowering that. I think it would just be a question of whether or not we could push it up, Tom Woodhead. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think I think for a striker to be a 10, um, they do need to also score some of those more in, more instinctive cutback sort of chances as well, I think, which which we've discussed at length before is, is Bamford's weakness. But all that is massively outweighed by the positives he brings to the team. And I think... If if I were to list all these that I've ended up giving, I think it would only be Bamford and Rafinha that I've marked as a nine, and that feels about right to me. I think they're the two players, apart from possibly Melier, well, definitely Melier, but they're they're two, the two or three that if you took them out of the team, I'd be really worried. Right at the start of this section, we said I think that Tom Woodhead said that if 
Um, I don't know why I thought named you considered Randy. <laughs> You're the only time I have to worry about. <laughs> but you guys don't realise how lucky you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, we said like a player that performs well most games, but can sort of drop off a little bit. And Bamford has performed well in the majority of games, but there have been games where we've, we've been a little bit like I don't know scoring those chances, like you said, that you would expect someone that would get a striker that would be getting a ten would get. So I, I'm completely happy with a nine. Well, that brings us to the end of the the player ratings, and it doesn't leave us any time to talk about Sheffield United. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> <laughs> but what I will say is that um, Sheffield United play in the 3-5-2, as they did under Chris Wilder before he was unceremoniously dumped into the uh, dustbin of history. Um, so that means that we will be playing a 3-5-2 formation, which I've got down in the running order as Josh Hobbs' favourite favorite formation. Um, I guess we can quickly run through a couple of the issues. One of them is uh, in the back three. Do we do we think that we'll see with would, do we think we'll see Liam Cooper just come straight back into that back three of Irente and Strauch, or do you think that we'll end up having to move Ailing uh, into there and then? jiggle things around a little bit in front of him um, I guess this is very much dependent on the question how does Cooper come back from Covid is, has, has he had a, a real issue getting over it or is he is he doing okay I think he's been in training already which suggests that he's probably not had the worst um, experience of it but uh, has anyone got any thoughts on the on the centre-back situation in the 3-5-2 I'd quite like Ailing to play on that right side-sided centre-back role in that in that first in the first Sheffield United game, that was potentially even Ailing's best game of the season, uh, playing in that role. So I think it would be, I'd, I'd like Ailing in there. I think this is a f- potentially a game that could suit Lorente as well. Um, so then for me, as it's either you keep Strauch in or you bring Cooper back in. So maybe if you're trying not to rush Cooper back because there's probably no need to, maybe keep Strauch in. Play Lorente in the middle. Yeah, you're going to tell me that's a bad idea. I think. <laughs> no, no, no. I've got nothing against that. Tom Woodhead, would you would you agree? I think I broadly agree. Um, I, I mean, I would say it's not completely out of the question that it would be Cock that comes in as well. You know, he's played for the under twenty threes a couple of times. He's not shown any signs. Been reinvented of... as a central midfielder, though. Yeah, hasn't this he, is so. true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I, I'd I'd err on the side of playing Ailing as the right centre back, and then especially because now it's Sheffield United. You, I don't, you don't completely rule out that they will move to a back four at some point during the game now that Wilder's not um, not at the helm. So I think I think just playing Ailing as that right-sided centre-back gives us so much more flexibility to change things up while the game's happening. The only other issue with that, I suppose, is that if you take Ailing out of the out of the right back position slash the maybe the right wing back position you then have to move Dallas into the right wing back position and then you've got to fill three centre midfield slots which let's assume Phillips is playing there and Click is presumably going to be out with Covid um, who you've got Tyler Roberts and, and Rodrigo who may not be fit so it may be the case that, that we don't even have that licence to, to play that formation I suppose. I think when we played this way against Sheffield United earlier on in the season, it was basically held Acosta playing as the right wing back. Yeah, and right. Harrison played so, as left wing back. Well, it wasn't Harrison was like the striker, and we played Alioski as the left wing back. Oh, right. So it would really be a case of Rafinha, I guess, playing as the right wing back. Which it, it seems odd when you say it, but we have seen these things happen during games quite a lot, and it goes un, unremarked because people just assume it can't happen. 
Yeah, we've, we've obviously played with an inverted right wing back often when we've played this formation, but there's no reason why we wouldn't play Rafinha in that position. Uh, and then, yeah, like you say, Alioski and then um, Harrison as, as the striker. And I think Harrison as a striker is much is the best pressing option that we have uh, for sure. So I, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with that. And then, so you've got Phillips, Dallas and someone else, uh, Roberts, I Roberts. suppose, in the yep. midfield, yeah. Yeah, I I suspect that might be the way that we go then, depending on all of these questions. We don't know how close to coming back Rodrigo is. We don't know how close to coming back Click is. We don't know how close to coming back Cooper is. I suppose the other option would be to play Dallas at left wing back and, um, no, sorry, sorry, to play Harrison at left wing back. And then you move either Roberts, well, probably Roberts up to play as the second striker instead, yeah. I think that's that's a good point because we we have seen Roberts was playing as that second striker when we played in a sort of four four two system or when we've played four four one one and he sort of drops in and helps out as like a ten in the build up and then pushes forward in as a striker in the uh, in the out of possession phases. That's probably good enough for a for a Sheffield United preview. It's certainly been the case that they've been worse since they sacked Wilder, and I don't think they were particularly great before that. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching us somehow confect a loss out of this one. But that game is on on Saturday at 3 p.m. That brings us to the end of this glorious Sheffield United preview podcast, which has actually seen us review Leeds United more than anything. But it's a hugely enjoyable conversation just running through all the players. So thank you for that, lads. In terms of if you like our stuff and you want to get more of it, then I guess you're in luck, but we haven't really put anything out for, for a while just because of the international break. But we are getting back on things. We will be doing a Patreon live stream tomorrow, Thursday, 8 p.m., if you're a patron, you will get the details for how to follow that. And on Monday, I'll be doing something, breaking down the tactics of the game in a video analysis on the patron side as well. So if that interests you, then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? And I think that's all I need to tell you. So all I need to do now, I suppose, is to say thank you to Tom. Thank you. And thank you to Tom. Thank you very much. And we'll see you on Monday. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 